The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, we're continuing our look at the impact of pornography today relating to children and what they are exposed to online. So just a warning that some of the issues raised may not be suitable for younger ears and may contain some disturbing content. It's no surprise now to learn that if a child has access to the internet, they can potentially view anything from gambling to graphic, explicit content. In effect, there are no boundaries. So our reporter, Josh Crosby, has been investigating and he's with me down in the studio. Josh, good morning. Good morning, Pat. The first question, how young are children getting access to porn online? Okay, so like most things, Pat, they're getting younger and younger, but the type of content they're being exposed to is even more worrying. Uh, Look, speaking from my own experience, I'll be showing my age here now, but my first introduction to porn or naked, nude images, it would have been a deck of playing cards. Then there was a magazine would appear every now and again after school. We'd huddle up in a group for a look. But it's completely shifted now. Children as young as six are known to have watched porn. So this idea that the conversations around the birds and the bees start in secondary school is long gone. It was gone when I was in primary school more than 20 years ago. And it's not a nice thought to think that children who should only be concerned about playing games, eating their favourite food, should be seeing graphic content their brains are nowhere near mature enough to be introduced to this. But just to get a sense of, of the general age people do start seeing porn, I, I asked a bunch of young people. Now, keep in mind, for the purpose of, of our recording requirements, they're, they're all over 18. So if I was to ask 14 and 16-year-olds, the answer would be more likely to be younger again. This man from the north is in his early 20s and he spoke very honestly about his own experience. He says there needs to be more safeguards in place. I remember it um, explicitly... I think I was among the first of, you know, friends and stuff because I tried to talk about it and no one else really knew. I think it was me and my cousin maybe searching up the odd thing in the internet back in the day, but it's like sweets, you know, you're a young lad seeing that stuff. You're going to want to do it all the time, every day. To be honest, it's personally affected my life a lot, you know, pornography and addiction and all that. In recent years, I restricted myself from it, you know. I, now and again, you probably want to go to it, but if it was a goal of mine, I'd never want to watch it again. Wait, in what way? It influenced your way of thinking about sex, was it? Um, I believe so, and just how I interact with people, and I think it sort of stumped um, any sort of meaningful relationships. When I was younger and stuff, a couple of girls fancied me and stuff, but I was looking at the teachers, not the younger woman, because that's the older woman's what I saw in porn, you know? I didn't get in the first relationship till I was about 19. Because you were introduced to it from a younger age? Yeah. It dented your way of thinking? Like oh, it- absolutely. Like, um... Whenever the time did come to be intimate with a woman, the first time, you know, with a new woman, I would struggle a lot to even be aroused in the situation or be very nervous and stuff. And I think that is due to pornography. Expectations and yeah, expectations how you picture it yeah. is completely different to the real world. Yeah, yeah. What age were you when you first would have come across something explicit like porn? Maybe like 10. 10? 10, yeah. Yeah. And what was it? Was it something shared to you? or? Yeah, my friend showed me, yeah. So it must have been quite... Yeah, like, I was shocked, like... And 10's young, like? Mm, it is, yeah. So what do you do when you see something like that? You, I suppose you, you don't know how to react, do you? No, you don't, know. You, you don't believe it, like, you don't believe your eyes. Yeah, it was just weird, yeah. And I suppose looking back now, at that 10-year-old girl, is there anything you'd like to see in place that would prevent that from happening? Or, like, how do you think you go about blocking that? For sure there should be something, but I don't know what. I don't know how you could stop that from happening. Probably 12, 12, I'd say. And how was it? Was it just someone shared a video with you or...? Just, like, social media, like, you know, people just post it to Instagram and, like, it wouldn't get taken down for a good while. How did you first access porn? I misspelt a word... 
So you were searching for something innocent yeah. and something else cropped up? Yeah. And what age would you have been then? About like 13, 14, I'd say. When you're introduced to it at 12 years of age, like how do you digest that or was it? Um, just like, oh, that's, that's new, that's something. Uh, young people on the streets of Dublin sharing their first encounters with porn. So how are these early encounters affecting children in reality, Josh? Yeah, so this is the worrying, even scary part. Look, for a lot of people, they'll consume this and, and for the most part be confused, possibly have a laugh, even a jeer over it. But but then it gets found out that they watch this and in a perfect world, a suitable conversation would take place about consent and sex. And the ideal scenario would be that a conversation like this would even happen before they're exposed to the graphic content. But, but sadly, realistically, that's not always the case. And as we heard from that young man in the Vox Pops, this can have a real lasting impact on how they continue their interactions and relationships with partners but from those working with young people such as the ISPCC this can be even more damaging and life-changing for girls I met with Caroline O'Sullivan who's Director of Services with the ISPCC which also operates Childline Caroline says that over the last 12 months they've received on average 20 contacts every week from children who are contemplating suicide and just to warn here again there are some sensitive issues raised what 15 and 16 year olds were telling us four or five years ago, we're hearing that from 12 and 13 year olds now. So that pressure to get involved in sexual activity is coming a lot earlier. The expectations around what they're expected to do or what they perceive that they're expected to do because all their friends are saying, oh no, it's no problem. Share the image. If you don't share the image, he won't be your boyfriend anymore. And then when they do make that error of judgment where they do actually share that image and the trust is broken, that child is absolutely in a spiral because they're ashamed, they're guilty, they're humiliated, they're stigmatised. So for these children, they are in a complete world that they haven't got the emotional maturity to actually deal with. So that leads to them having psychological distress, emotional distress, completely isolating themselves from the world. If anybody kind of looks upon that as an adult, and imagine having to face that if you were to go into work one day. Put that on the shoulders of a 12-year-old. And you can only imagine, for many children, they wouldn't like to be bringing that to their parents, to telling them what, what's unravelling. So th- they come to you. What's the next step then? Or do you advise them maybe that yeah. they should speak to their family, maybe go to the Gardaí? It all depends. It's very different for every child. So it depends on their age, the family environment, their developmental stage and even their own resilience. We do always ask them, is there somebody within their family that they can trust? Because the key thing to actually helping children to get through something like this is recognising that they do have that one good adult that they can go to, that they can talk to, that'll be there to support them through it. Children being exposed to mm. explicit content is mm. becoming younger as well because it might not necessarily be a, a porn website, but Absolutely. on a social media platform there'll be something else popping up. Absolutely. For some children, what we're also hearing in our, in our services is the fact that when they do see porn, Wherever they get that introduction from, there's a huge amount of pressure on them. Do I have to look like that? Questions from teenagers. Do I have to be completely hairless? Is it okay for somebody else to pull my hair and choke me as part of sexual interaction? Because my boyfriend is expecting that. So the questions that we're getting are very much linked with what children are seeing. But they don't like what they're seeing. They recognise that it's misogynistic. Because of this, there's a complete early sexualization of children. And childhood is being taken away from children. Now, that's the Director of Services at the ISPCC, Caroline O'Sullivan. So anxiety, uh, fear, even suicidal thoughts, all down to the pressures put on young people, particularly on girls due to porn. So who else did you meet working at Childline? What other services do they provide? 
Yes, Pat. So while I was there, I met with some of the volunteers. They're there on the other end of the phone, not knowing what calls are going to come in. And while it was the name Childline might make people think of a phone call, which originally it was, it is very much now about a chat service. There's a number of reasons for this with many adults now working from home. Children don't have as much privacy to, to make verbal calls. And of course, texting and messaging is how a lot of younger people communicate now. So, so this is what they're used to. We'll hear from both the CEO of the ISPCC, John Church, and also Maria, who's a volunteer at Childline. Firstly, John says there are great benefits to come with online tools and access, but there needs to be greater responsibility taken by the tech companies. He says they receive up to 300 engagements every day by phone. We're pro-technology, we're pro-internet. It's an absolutely fantastic environment for children to be in, but it has its dangers. A lot more could be done from the industry platforms. Let's be honest, they didn't set themselves up as child protection agencies. They are for-profit agencies. Great services, people interact with them, but with that comes a lot of dangers. And whatever guidance we can put in place or whatever the Commission Man can put in place, it's down to the platforms. If they are serious about child protection, They'll do what they need to do. For example, age verification. It's a very, very difficult one to crack, to be perfectly honest with you. And I ask the question, is there really the will there to crack it? For the parents who are listening today now, they're struggling at times. They notice there might be bullying going on in school and it's coming back into the bedroom then with the smartphone. What's the advice for parents listening today? I think sometimes we lose the common sense approach to things. Parents forming that relationship, that very open honest relationship with their children from a very very early age set up the dialogue make it safe for the child to be able to go back to the parent and say listen i'm not comfortable with this or i saw something online you're really welcome to childline's free confidential listening service. hi my name is maria i'm volunteering um for childline for the past three and a half years so how does it work then you do a few hours every week your shift is four hours every week yeah yeah what's it like it must be quite emotional because you're dealing with very sensitive issues yeah, I mean, the training that we get is very, very good. So that helps you then with any difficult calls, chats that we get. But I mean, you know, it obviously is a, an emotional thing to go through. And for someone who's there down the other end of the line, what message would you like to get out to people who might be using the services of Trilight? We want children to know and young people to know that we are here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're non-judgmental and that we're here just to support them and that please come talk to us about anything at all. And for anyone listening who would like to volunteer but they're a bit unsure, how rewarding is the work? It's very, very rewarding. You meet so many lovely, lovely people and just the fact that you're there for the children is an amazing thing. And that's uh, Childline volunteer Maria and before that the CEO of the ISPCC, John uh, Church. Interesting that those congressional hearings, the Senate hearings three weeks ago, put the uh, social media bosses through the ringer. And if America brings about change, well, hopefully that change will uh, also happen here. Now, uh, what about the parents, Josh? Are they taking precautions to limit inappropriate content that their children might be exposed to? Well, from those I met, they are, Pat, but they're fighting a huge wave. It's like whack-a-mole. Once one fire is put out, there's another app springing up or a new proxy way to get around a filter. And and let's face it, the younger generation know a lot more about tech and devices than the adults trying to control the usage. But parents are trying. I know there's a growing number of communities now where parents have got together to say they'll form a pact not to, to give in to buying children's smartphones. And that seems to be a good success. Some school principals are taking the lead on this as well, asking parents not to buy smartphones but 
these parents tell me that the, the different rules they've put in in place and, and how they try to limit what their children see online. This mother starts off by telling me the different ages of her children and what the house rules are. 15, 13, 9. All different ages there now yeah. of access to internet and what they're looking up. What age have you given the smartphones to them? They have to be secondary school as a rule in our house and I know that's not the way that other families do it but I don't care if they're the only one in the class. They just, they're the only one in the class without a phone and that's that. And then in terms of access to your own tablets or computers in the house, yeah. do you have parental controls there? We have parental controls. We also have two different logins. They don't have the login to ours. Yeah, and we have parental controls on all the phones and we check usage and all that as well. Yeah. The ages are 12 and 14. Okay, and do they have smartphones? They do. What age were they when they first got them? Uh, they just got them a month ago or so, so okay. very right. recently, yeah. The main restrictions are not to have them in the bedroom at night and not to use social media excessively, just with their close friends, that's it. Well, the kind of standard now is that when they go to high school, they get their iPhone, if you like, but the trouble is you're letting like a complete stranger in the house, and that was our big worry. Your daughter's here? Yep. Are there ways around the parental controls? Sometimes there's like loopholes if you know what I mean with the passwords and stuff. But you know of maybe classmates that have figured ways around? Yeah, definitely. Like changing time zones and stuff like that so they can go back on their phones. There's like, there are ways. Oh, wait a minute, we need to check your phone here. <laughs> Saying this in front of your dad now. <laughs> Getting caught out. Well, that report uh, from Josh Crosby, uh, parents and children there on ways to monitor phone use. If you have been affected by any of the issues that were raised in Josh's report, you can contact Chilan on 1-800-666-666. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.